Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, is back and he's continuing in our series on Galatians. If you want to watch the video of this message or listen to this week's worship, you can do that on our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or you can do that on our Brookwood Church app. We pray that this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. world looks at you, do they see Jesus? What do they see? We continue our series, our survey of Galatians, but by now you've just about mastered Galatians, right? You know everything about it. Well, the reason we're looking at this and we're taking it, you know, basically passage by passage, just we need to lay a foundation, a building block that we can build our understanding, our grasp of Scripture on. And so that's why each summer we take another New Testament book and look at it just bit by bit, verse by verse, passage by passage. This book, Galatians, is an extremely extremely important book in the history of the church. It's actually the book on which Martin Luther based his thrust that, be, that was yielded the Reformation was the idea of justification by faith. And it came from his reading of this book, Galatians. The title of today's message is Children of Promise. And in the passage we'll focus on today, Paul used the Old Testament to contrast grace and works, faith and law. And when I'm speaking of law, I don't mean the South Carolina penal code. I'm I'm talking about the law given by God to Moses. And so Paul uses the historical story of Abraham to serve as an illustration of spiritual truth. His purpose was to show the people who were influencing the Galatian church. What was their name? Judea. That's right. It's 11 o'clock, y'all. Y'all been up for a few hours, you've had a shower, you know. So the Judaizers were people who claimed faith in Christ, but they said, but to be right before God, you have to also fulfill all the law. So these Judaizers, the law of Moses, were influencing the Galatian Christians that they needed to be circumcised as, as uh, Gentiles, they were not circumcised. That was part of the law of Moses. So they needed to be circumcised and they needed to keep all of the law, the moral law, the ceremonial law, the ritualistic law in order to satisfy God. And Paul is showing them so many different ways that that is not true, that God's plan for redemption has always been by grace. What's the definition of grace? Unmerited favor is a good definition. It's getting something you don't deserve. And that's the way salvation or redemption comes, not by obedience of the law of Moses. So take out your outline if you haven't already. The introduction is actually the first verse in this passage. Galatians chapter 4, verse 21, 
And in the BAB, it's on page 940. And you know the BAB is what? Yes, the Bible available at Brookwood. So, so here's what it says. Tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? So he's saying, what you're saying is ridiculous. Why would you go this way? And so he explains in this passage that we are not living under law. We're children of promise. And children of promise, first point from this passage, are conceived by God's grace. So we're at Galatians chapter 4, verse 22 is where we turn to now. The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. Now, let me give, some, give you some information about the background of God's promise, not to Abraham, but to whom? Abram. And God's promise is also called what? Covenant, yes. And, and you can use those terms synonymously. There's, they're not exactly the same. Promise is obviously a little more a broader, but essentially the covenant was God's promise with some specific things included. So we begin with Genesis chapter 12, which is when God first announced his covenant, his promise to Abram. And the Lord said, leave your native country. What was Abram's native country? Ur. Oh, y'all are, y'all might make me happy today. (laughs) And was he a follower of God? What did he do? What was he? He was, yeah, well, he was Chaldean, so he worshiped idols. So Abram had no, no awareness of, of the Hebrew God, Jehovah, Yahweh, at all. Leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family. Go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families on earth will be blessed through you. So God promised Abram essentially three things. The first, what was the first? Land. The promised land. And so the reason that the Jews hang so tenaciously to the the land of Israel and we believe that they're entitled to it, is because it was given to them by God. Sometimes, you know, people say, well, the Palestinians were there first. No, the Canaanites were there. The Palestinians are most likely Phoenicians who actually came later. Canaanites were there before. So God promised Abram land. He promised him descendants, and there were so many they would form a nation And he also promised him a blessing, a blessing to Abram himself and his family, but also from Abram or through Abram to others. And this blessing to all the families on earth, it includes, it implies the promise of salvation, the promise of redemption for people 
throughout the world who were not merely Jews. Now, it's interesting how, if you read the scripture, the Jews thought that God was only theirs, wasn't it? Because when God first introduced himself to Abram, he said that what I will give to you will be for the whole world. Abram's wife, whose name was what? Sarah. Y'all are, oh, y'all are really, I'm going to get some chairs up here and put a few of you good pupils up here. Her name was Sarah. And so here's a man who'd been promised that he was going to have descendants that would become a nation. And yet he and his wife had been able to conceive. And now Abram is 75 and Sarah is 65. Genesis 15. So time passes and a full decade later, they still have no children. So Sarah becomes impatient. And she suggests to Abram that he marry her Egyptian handmaiden, whose name was Hagar, or servant. And that Abram have a child with her servant, and she would claim that child as her own. Now, who thinks that sounds like a good idea? Now, the act was actually legal, but it was never according to God's will. God's teaching and his statement on marriage from the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, repeated by Jesus in John, was one man, one woman for life. And there's no variance on that. Now, if you read this passage, what you find is that Later on, at age 86, Abram had this son by Hagar, whose name was Ishmael. And it caused great conflict in the home. It's interesting, if you read Genesis 16, that Sarai later accused Abram of the problem. Yes, Faith. Well, let me talk to you a minute. Well, now, have you ever told Jack to do anything, and after he did it and it blew up, you blamed him? <laughs> well, this is exactly what, ha- what happens. This woman, Sarah, tells her husband, you go do this. He does it. He has a child. She's mad with him. Now, at age 99... Again, we're 13 years later again. God reaffirms his promise to Abram. That he will have a child through Sarai. And also here in Genesis 17 is when Abram, which means exalted father, was changed to Abraham, which means father of many. Now Sarai's name was changed to Sarah. And they mean the same thing. Princess. But Sarah is from the Ur dialect. Chaldean. And Sarah is the Canaanite dialect where the promised land would be. Now Abraham was 100 years old. And Sarah 90 when Isaac was born. Genesis 21. 
And so we look back at Galatians 4, verse 23. That's the background. The son of the slave wife, Ishmael, was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. You get that? But the son of the freeborn wife, Isaac, was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. Ishmael's conception was by completely human means. But what it expressed was an utter lack of trust in God's promise. Anybody here ever had a promise from God and then God seemed slow to fulfill it? Anybody, let me see it. You've had a promise from God and God sure seems to be taking his time. Well, because of that, did you jump up and try to make it happen yourself? How'd it, how'd it go? Disaster. Not well. Because, see, it's an utter lack of faith. Part, part of the test of faith is waiting and believing and holding on and praying. Isaac's conception, you see, was supernatural. Now, not, he wasn't born in like the way that Jesus was born, where Mary actually conceived by the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit enabled Sarah to conceive with Abraham to produce a child. So he was miraculous because they were long past childbearing years and Sarah had never been able to become pregnant. You can read in Genesis 17 and Genesis 21. So in our application and the argument that Paul is making is that Ishmael illustrates seeking salvation through human effort, through religious works, which in this series we call that what? Legalism. Legalism. Isaac illustrates the way of faith, which is trusting in the work of Jesus Receiving God's imputed or gifted righteousness, which is what we call grace. Because it is given by God's promise. What do you do to deserve it? You sure about that? You didn't do something? You didn't take communion? You, didn't be, you weren't baptized? You didn't walk an aisle? Pray a prayer. Wasn't it one of those things that caused it to happen? Was it? None of them. None of them caused it to happen. Verse 24. These two women serve as an illustration. And in your, what does your Bible say instead of the word illustration? Did you say Allegory. A lot of a, a literal translation is allegory, but illustration is a, a good translation for here. Of God's two covenants, and those were the covenant of law and works, and the covenant of grace and faith. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai. Why Mount Sinai? 
Somebody get loud. Yeah, it's where the law was given to Moses. Where people first became enslaved by the law. Well, when did Abraham come under the law? Who said, what would you say? You're hiding back there, but you're bold. That's the correct answer. Never. See, we think, we think Old Testament people, you know, live by the law, don't we? Who thought that, that Old Testament people were saved by the law? Come on, let me have some courage. Abraham had no law. Never. The law came years later through Moses. The covenant of law, however, given through Moses, required God's chosen people who years later would be called the Jews. But they weren't now. There were no Jews at this stage. In fact, the word Jew was only referred to these people after Judah, the son of Jacob. But the Jews had to keep all the commands, the rules, the rituals, and the ceremonies that were given to them by Moses. Could they do it? Humanly impossible. Because understanding, Jesus taught us this at the Sermon on the Mount. Not only did they have to obey the letter of the law, they had to obey the motivation for the law. It wasn't enough not to commit murder. You also couldn't be what? Angry. It wasn't enough not to commit adultery. You also couldn't what? Look lustfully. So the law meant not only do you not do these particular acts, you can't even have the motive of doing them. And so all were convicted under that standard. And so the law of Moses produced a type of religious slaves who were bound to a master they could never please and not escape. Now let me re-say this. Anyone, including a Jew, who attempted to satisfy God to escape condemnation by keeping the covenant of law by his or her own efforts was spiritually enslaved and was struggling for freedom and forgiveness that could not be obtained through their efforts. Verse 25. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia. Because she and her children live in slavery to the law. Because they never turned to Christ. So see, the Jews were living under the law. So they essentially, that's why it compares Jerusalem, which were supposed to be given to the people of God. They were behaving as slaves under the law. The descendants of Hagar and Ishmael eventually moved into the desert areas that were east and south of the promised land. And they became known as what? What are they called? Somebody said it, but you covered your mouth so I wouldn't see you. Arabs. Arabs. And their territory, Arabia. 
which is where Mount Sinai is located, the Arabian Peninsula. Verse 26. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. So not the one on earth, not the fleshly one, not the physical one, but Sarah represents the spiritual Jerusalem. She's the free woman, and she is our mother. So those who trust in the work of Jesus alone by faith are free from the law. So do you have to obey the Ten Commandments? Do you? Do you? Do you? I need to hear more no's than yes's on this one. No! But they're up on the walls and they're in the courthouses and they're everywhere and they're in public schools and, they're, and we're fighting for them. Nobody is saved by the Ten Commandments. Now, yeah, but shouldn't we be resisting it? I think we should resist it because the motivation of eliminating the Ten Commandments is to eliminate every shred of evidence of the reality of God. But nobody is saved even if they keep all ten perfectly, which isn't possible. So we've got to get this stuff, we've got to understand what's really going on. But we are the children of Sarah. We're the descendants of Isaac. And we are residents today of heavenly Jerusalem. You're as much a resident of heaven today as you will ever be. Verse 27. And then he cites a prophecy from Isaiah. As Isaiah said, rejoice, O childless woman. You who have never given birth. Break into joyful shout, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. Now what this prophecy meant, and originally the context was Isaiah was encouraging the Jews in exile in Babylon that they would not be the end of the people of God. That they would be free and there would be children who would later be born into freedom, into the land of God. Paul uses this prophecy to declare that God works supernaturally to birth spiritual children in freedom from the bondage of law. Now, is he talking about physical birth or spiritual birth? Which one? Spiritual birth, not physical birth. Physical birth, we're born enslaved. It's spiritual birth, we're born in freedom. So have you been born into freedom? Do you know what I'm talking about? You say, well, what's my part in that? I mean, am I supposed to be baptized? Am I supposed to receive the Lord's Supper? Am I supposed to come down to the front and pray? Am I supposed to, what, what do I do to get that? All you do is believe God's promise. That's it. And children of promise are converted by the Holy Spirit. Verse 28. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise just like Isaac. So you see, Isaac, though, was actually born physically. 
but Isaac was also born spiritually. We don't know from the text when that happened. Because Isaac's name was changed to what? Je- now his name wasn't actually changed. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, though his, his son. These Galatians, who were not even Jews, were born again as the result of God's promise to Abraham. And so were you. If you're born again, you benefit from God's promise to Abraham. The one given that to bless all families on earth. And it was an act of God. It was God's grace. It was God's power. Not any human effort. And because of this, that's why Paul is so adamant that these Galatians are dishonoring God. Because God sent his son. God completed everything that was necessary for salvation. And what they're doing is they're undervaluing the sacrifice of Jesus. And they're saying, okay, we accept that. But we've also got to do this. We also have to do, perform these works. There's some more that we have to add to it. And Paul says, you're dishonoring God. You're undervaluing the sacrifice of Jesus right there. And at verse 29, but now... You're being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law. Just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. So just as Ishmael persecuted Isaac, Jews who were claiming faith in Jesus but declaring you had to obey the law were persecuting Christians who merely trusted God's promise. Look at this 2 Timothy 3. Anyone, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Do you suffer persecution? If you say no, I would ask, are you living a godly life in Christ Jesus? I mean, if you're an undercover Christian and nobody really knows, why would you suffer persecution? But if you clearly are different and you declare you're different, you'll suffer persecution. Haven't you noticed or have you noticed how people who are in bondage resent people who are experiencing freedom? Have you? Now I'm talking about people who are in bondage resent people who have freedom in Christ People in bondage resent people who have freedom at work. People in bondage in their marriages resent people who have freedom and joy and hope in their marriages. You see where I'm going here? People in bondage resent anyone experiencing freedom. And they tell you, you're not not real. They they say, why are you so happy? You're, you're You're not living in reality. They cannot believe you can live on this world with joy and hope and peace. And they resent you for it. And they try to enslave you. You know anybody trying to enslave you? Those who trust in their own obedience for salvation resent those who live freely in Christ. 
I mean, how many of us grew up in churches where the theme wasn't you're free in Christ? The theme was don't you dare smoke, drink, dance, curse. Now, some of you have no business dancing. That's true. (laughs) But it's not a spiritual matter. But people who are living under this law want to impose it on everybody else. Don't you know anybody like They want to share their misery. And they resent it. It makes them angry that you don't do what you're supposed to do. You know what I'm talking about? Now, in our culture, the adjustment here, the application is, has to be a switched a little bit because we're not living today in a culture where most of the preaching and most of the Christian people are, are demanding that you follow rules. But there is a persecution that's happening today in our culture. But it's a persecution from people who have created their own law of righteousness. But their law of righteousness is, I'm righteous. And how dare you say I'm not. And their law of righteousness is, I can do anything as long as it's motivated by love. I don't know about you, but I have seen some terrible things supposedly motivated by love. I have seen some people walk out on spouses, children, and leave them in destruction and devastation out of love. And they're furious at you if you call them to honor their commitments, their obligations in marriage. Because you see, we're not obeying God because we are trying to earn forgiveness. We're obeying God because what? Why? We love God and we believe He loves us and wants what's best for us. So see, when people who are living actually in self-worship, they will resent you if you're living in true God-worship. Because part of God worship is, no, I'm honoring God, and this practice is wrong. That's when you experience persecution. You see my point? So here's the the question, again. Are you, am I, a child of promise? A child like, a descendant of Isaac. A person born by the power of the Spirit. You are if you have been born again. Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again. Or literally it could be translated born from above. In order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, here's the problem we have in, you know, church, American church. We can be so motivated to make it accessible to you that we say, you just do this. You walk an aisle, we'll baptize you, we'll give you communion, we'll do these things, and you do these things, you're saved. Can I ever certify anybody's salvation? 
Mm -mm. Because we're only saved if what? We are born again by the Spirit of God. Now, here's... It's embarrassing if you've been in church and you're not born again and you don't even know what that means. I mean, it sounds really pretty weird, doesn't it? Can y'all admit that? Are you afraid to admit that? I mean, this sounds really crazy. So how do we do this? Well, that's the point. You don't. Jesus said, nobody controls the Spirit. The Spirit blows like the wind. Read John 3, 1 through 7. So what are you relying on for your salvation? You say, well, I'm going to church faithfully, and I give financially, and I serve, and I've been on some mission trips, and I'm, I'm in a small group, and I'm, I participate in the Lord's Supper, and I'm, I'll be ba- I've been baptized. Some of you, are. we have baptism tonight, which is a great thing. But which of those save you? Well, wait a minute. Walk in an aisle. How about that? Pray in a certain prayer. Does that save you? They're all works. By grace we've been saved through faith. This is a gift from God, not by any work. So none of us can boast. John 1, 12 and 13. John 3, 1 through 8. Look at it. Now, all of those things are good things. They're not bad things. They're good things. And and I think that those things should be evidenced if we know Christ. I mean, if, if you're born again and you give nothing and you serve none, you ought to say, am I really born again? Do I have the Spirit in me? Do I understand appreciation for the grace of God? But none of them can cause you to be saved. Well, some of you say, but I, I've heard this stuff all my life. But how can I know? What does it feel like to be born again? Well, I'm just going to throw out a few things. And I would suggest if you say, I don't know if I'm born again or not, if I'm really honest. Get a a concordance. Look up everywhere the Holy Spirit's mentioned. See all the things the Spirit does and see if those things are happening to you in you. But let me just give you a few First, when the Spirit regenerates you, in other words, He takes what's dead, the Spirit in us. We don't, we're not born with a live Spirit. We're born with a dead Spirit. Live body, dead Spirit. And the Holy Spirit imparts spiritual life within us. And we're not the same. Do you remember when you were, you, you were different? Some of y'all, I've been here long enough to see some of you change. Christy, you look different than you. Your change was dramatic. And there are many of you I could say that to. I I saw it happen to you. It was dramatic, the change. But that's what Scripture says, isn't it? Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Do you remember the day when the new life began? Now, you might not have a certain date, you know. I think for some it's more confusing than for others. But here's a point. Can you see a point? Can you look backward and see when you are very different? Rick, I saw you change. 
And then you look today. Roland, the old you. But here's one little example. Does anybody know someone that they would really consider holy? I mean, just a godly person. I don't mean an arrogant. I don't mean a hypocritical. I mean a genuinely godly person. Do you know anybody? Well, when that person comes into your environment, does it affect you? You're careful what you say. You're careful how you act. If they're in your house, you're going to be careful which TV shows you're watching. Is that right? What you're reading, what you're saying, what you're doing. When that person comes in your proximity. That's right. If you, if you are born again, the perfectly holy Spirit of God has moved into you. Not just in your environment. Not just showing up now and then. Permanently within. And what happens for most of us, and certainly happened for me, is you recognize sin and you recognize your own sin most of all. You, do you remember that moment? And you want to flee it. Well, fleeing it is what the word repentance means. It means a change of direction. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit convinces us of truth. You're not, you're not just debating whether Christianity is right, whether Islam's right, whether, you know, I know a person, and this person told me, well, I read all about the world religions and decided Christianity was right. Does that equal salvation? It doesn't equal salvation. It might be a logical decision someone made, and we would say it's, it's a correct decision. Making a decision like that doesn't spontaneously cause regeneration. Hate them, you know what I'm talking about here? But the Spirit of God comes in and suddenly convinces you what is true. And you might have been all concerned about evolution and this and that. And all these issues you were debating and reading and discussing. And the Spirit of God comes in and you go, I don't care about that. God's real. And he resides within me. And you can research and all. I'm not, I'm not minimizing that. But when you know a person, no one can talk you out of saying you know him. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I went, my daughter lives in Spartanburg, and I'll go in this house, and there is a new person in her house. And I've held this child. I haven't yet changed the diaper, but it's coming. And this child has slept on me and cooed and all the things they do. Nobody can deny me that I know this child. You can't talk me out of it. When you know God, no one can talk you out of it. I hear people saying, well, my child went off to college and he got talked out of believing. No, he never knew. Because when you know, no one can convince you you don't know.
It's a fact. It's real. And that's the work of whom? Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes in too, you know what? You love God. You love God's word. You love God's people. You're different. Larry, I remember it. I could see it on your face. And then the Spirit of God that's in you, He doesn't leave you alone. He starts shaping. It's like that holy person living in your house. You just get changed, don't you? Well, what if that holy person living inside? You get changed from the inside, and then it starts showing on the outside. So if you're not being changed... Is the Spirit in you? Children of promise comprehend the person of the law. Verse 30. The purpose of the law. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son. For the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. It's interesting. The modern hatred between and resentment between Arabs and Israelis began in Abraham's house and began with Abraham and Sarah's sin and lack of trust. I was hunting many years ago. I used to live in Columbus, Georgia, which is where I was practicing law, and I had a roommate whose father owned thousands of acres. And so we were deer hunting with this Arabian prince and his family. He was King Faisal's brother, and he was in Columbus for knee surgery at the Houston Clinic, but they wanted to hunt, so I don't know, somehow we made this connection, and we were hunting with these people, and um, a servant almost shot me, but, um, (laughs) but I asked this guy, now I was very young, this wasn't a real wise, thoughtful question the way I phrased it. But anyway, I did. And I said to him, I said, are your people descendants of Ishmael? And he looked at me and he said, no, we're descendants of Abraham. And I didn't realize, you know, that I was being a little bit offensive. I just was genuinely interested. Did your people come from that line? But these people, even though Ishmael and Isaac shared a common father, they weren't born in the same way. They weren't related to God in the same way, and they don't share in God's inheritance. Rules, regulations, and rituals can never save. They can only point our need. Look at Romans. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. And James 2.10 says that if we've broken one law, we're lawbreakers. See, we like to say, well, I'm, you know, I'm pretty good. I do more good than bad. That's not the standard. The standard is one law broken, you're now a lawbreaker. And there's no middle ground. Hagar and Ishmael were cast out of Abraham's household. And so will their unbelieving descendants who live by religious works be cast out of God's household. In the same way, legalism 
must be cast out of a church. Rules and regulations about behavior cannot make people truly spiritual. Here's the problem. They might allow people to look spiritual. And the problem is that they might deceive you about their true state, but they might also deceive who? Themselves. Because you don't know what it is to be born again until you are, until you're born again. Until you're born. And it makes you mad that someone might have something you don't have. Verse 31. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. Have you been born again? Are you free from judgment by God? Are you free from guilt? Are you free from shame? Are you free from condemnation? Are you free? Not because you did anything, but you believed God's promise that he sent someone to absorb your sin, be beaten for it, die and be resurrected to prove your slate's clean. That's the whole gospel. And there is nothing else to it. So have you been born again by the Spirit? Now some of you may be alarmed by what I'm saying. Well, I don't know now. I've been in church a lot, but I don't know. People will pray with you. What can I do? Can I? Well, the point is, that's the point. We can't do. But the scripture says, call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. So what can you do? You can cry out. And if you don't know, you start crying now and you keep crying till the Spirit of God gives you new life. Don't let him go. Hold on. Counselors, you come to the front. They'll be here as long as you need them. Father, I pray that by your Spirit, you would confirm the faith of many today. But Lord, those who don't have true faith and don't understand it, I pray that your Spirit would fill them, would regenerate them would usher them into your kingdom right now. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do this is by getting connected here at Brookwood. Feel free to email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326 to get in contact with our Connections team. You can also find our message archives on our website and on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.